0: I would ask you, please, take your Bibles. Turn with me to the 33rd Psalm. I know in your bulletin it says the 34th Psalm. We're going to look at that, too, but we're going to look primarily at the 33rd Psalm this morning. If you uh, notice, an overwhelming majority of the 150 Psalms have a title to them, and this is one that doesn't, Uh, one of two different Psalms that doesn't have a title. We think it was probably uh, one from King David and and possibly one that's kind of a continuation from Psalm 32, but uh, it is one that I think is quite appropriate for us for the new year. It is God's Word. He may have used uh, someone like King David to write the words down using their own uh, special skills and techniques and, and the way that they would write, and yet. By the guidance of His Holy Spirit, He made sure that the, what is communicated here is His Word. And so out of respect and honor for God's Word, I would ask you, if you're able, please, to stand together with me as we read from the 33rd Psalm. Sing joyfully to the Lord, you righteous. It is fitting for the upright to praise Him. Praise the Lord with the harp. Make music to Him on the 10 string lyre. Sing to him a new song, play skillfully, and shout for joy. For the word of the Lord is right and true. He is faithful in all he does. The Lord loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of his unfailing love. By the word of the Lord were the heavens made their starry host by the breath of his mouth. He gathers the waters of the sea into jars. He puts the deep into storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord, let all the people of the world revere him, for he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. The, foils, uh, the Lord foils the plans of the nations, he thwarts the purpose of the peoples, but the plans of the Lord stand for, uh, firm forever, the purposes of his heart through all generations. Blessed is the nations whose God is the Lord, the people who he chose for his inheritance. From heaven the Lord looks down and sees all mankind. From his dwelling place he watches all who live on the earth. He who forms the earth he who forms the hearts of all who considers everything they do. No king is saved by the size of his army, no warrior escapes by his great strength. A horse is a vain hope for deliverance despite all its great strength it cannot save. But the eyes of the Lord are on those who fear Him, on those whose hope is in His unfailing love, to deliver them from death and keep them alive in family. We wait and hope for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. In Him our hearts rejoice, for we uh, trust in His holy name. May Your unfailing love rest upon us, O Lord, even as we put our hope in You. Thus far the reading of God's Word. You may be seated. Wow! Didn't uh, 2019 go fast? <laughs> Went fast for me. I don't know about for you. It seems like as uh, the, the you know it, your your life you're going uphill until you get to a certain age and you reach the plateau and then you're going downhill and it just seems to get steeper and steeper and you, it gets faster and faster and Uh, It seemed like 2019 just got here, but now it's gone. Uh, Here we are in the year 2020. And no doubt in the year 2020, there's going to be much made about having a clear vision, right? That's that's the way that uh, maybe it should be. And so especially in this year, 2020, when we want to have a clear vision, we do something as we look forward that we probably would do most every year at the beginning of the new year. We, uh, we set new goals. And in 2020, we want to set goals for what we want to see happen in this year and where we want to go and what we want to do and what we want to accomplish in this year. Maybe there are goals for a particular type of diet that you want to do or, a, or a, an exercise regime that you want to participate in. Or maybe you've got certain goals for uh, a little bit better financial security than you felt like you had in 2019. Maybe you have goals for a vacation, to go somewhere and, and do something special or, or to see family. Or maybe you've got uh, goals for reading this year. Maybe you've set a goal for reading through the entire Bible in one year. A lot of people do that on a regular basis. But maybe this is the first year that you set a goal like that. Or maybe you say, I want to study more and, and know more about God and His truths in uh, His Word. Um, Maybe you're thinking about uh, better relationships with certain people with family and, and you've set goals for that and all good, uh, good goals and, and things that maybe we should be thinking about. Maybe you've set those goals in the past and you didn't quite make it through January before you realize you were behind already. But this morning I want us to consider what I believe should be our primary goal in 2020, but I believe it should be not just our primary goal in 2020, but it should be our primary goal in every year of our lives. And I believe that that goal is to be faithful in worship at all times. I truly believe that that should be everyone in this room's goal this year, is that you're going to be faithful in worshiping God throughout this year. And so you see the outline in your bulletin. I have uh, three points that I want us to consider especially as we maybe think about Psalm 33 we're going to be looking at a lot of other uh, passages as well but I want us to consider why worship why should worship be a goal for us in 2020 and forever for that matter and secondly if we're going to understand why worship should be a goal we need to understand what worship is and so we're going to briefly touch a thumbnail sketch of what believe true worship is. And then thirdly, we're going to say if that's what true worship is, how do we attain? How do we how are we supposed to worship? And so those are our three points this morning, and so let's let's dig in. First of all, the question, why should we worship? Well, I think we should worship because Scripture is constantly calling us to worship. Every Sunday we come here and we start with a call to worship. And if you look through the bulletins of this last year, you see that we uh, sometimes we use the same uh, passage, uh, maybe two or three times a year, but we have so many uh, different calls to worship. You see it throughout the psalm. We see it in our psalm. Uh, 33 is our text this morning. We're going to see it in Psalm 34 as well. Psalm 33: um, Sing joyfully to the Lord, you righteous; it is fitting for the upright to praise Him. Praise the Lord with the heart; make music to Him on the ten-string lyre. Send to Him a new song; play skillfully and shout for joy. What's the psalmist doing? He's saying, "You need to come worship God." In Psalm 34, he says, "I will extol the Lord at all times; His praise will always be on my lips." My, my soul will boast in the Lord. Let the affi- afflicted hear and rejoice. Glorify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. He is calling us for, for us to worship him. Um, we see it in the Psalm. Uh, there, there's so many. I'm not going to look at all of them, but I want you just, just to read a few more to you. Psalm 96, <clears throat> the first three verses. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord. Praise his name. Proclaim his salvation day after day. Declare the glory among the nations. His marvelous deeds among all the peoples. He's calling us to worship him. Psalm 97 verse 1. The Lord reigns. Let the earth be glad. Let the distant shores rejoice. He's calling us to worship Him. One of the best-known psalms of all, the 100th psalm. Shout to, for joy to the Lord all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before Him with uh, joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. It is He who made us. And we are His. We are His people and sheep of His pasture. Enter His gates with thanksgiving and His courts with praise. praise uh, uh, give thanks to Him and praise His name. For the Lord is good. And his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. The 148th Psalm. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise him in the heights above. Praise him, all his angels. Praise him, all his heavenly hosts. Praise him, sun and moon. Praise him, all you shining stars. Praise Him, you highest heavens, and you waters above the earth. Let them, let them praise the name of the Lord, for He commanded, and they were, and they were created. Again, a call for us to come and, and worship Him and praise Him. The 150th Psalm. Praise the Lord. Praise God in His sanctuary. Praise Him in His mighty heavens. Praise Him for His acts of power. Praise Him for His surpassing greatness. Praise Him with sounding of the trumpets. Praise Him with the harp and lyre. Praise Him with the tambourine and dancing. Praise Him with the strings and the flute. Praise Him with the clash of cymbals. Praise Him with the resounding cymbals. Let everything that hath breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. You see, over and over again, it's not just in the Psalms. We we have calls to worship from from many different places in Scripture. This is what God is, is calling us to do, is to worship Him. Scripture is full of calls for us to worship Him. Every Sunday morning we come in here and we pray the Lord's Prayer, kind of part of our, our beginning. And uh, one of the requests in the Lord's Prayer is that His will would be done on earth even as it is done in heaven. Now what is going on in heaven, even as we speak this morning? What is going on in heaven? We see it, we see it in Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah is uh, gets a vision into the throne room, and he gets, a, gets a, a sight of what's going on there. And as he's lifted up, uh, he sees the Lord seated on the throne, high and exalted in the train of his robe. is filled the temple, and above him were seraphs, each with six wings. With two wings, they covered their faces. With two, they covered their feet. And with two, they were flying. And they were calling out to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of His glory. What's going on in heaven when Isaiah gets a glimpse there? They're worshiping God. They're praising Him. John gets a vision in, in Revelation chapter 4 and chapter 5. He's taken up to heaven and in this heavenly scene, what's going on in heaven? What is going on in heaven where we, we pray, let this happen on earth even as it is in heaven? What's going on in heaven? Well, John sees this, uh, has this vision, and uh, he sees this throne and these living creatures around it, and um, the the and, and they're they're crying out to one another. He says, day and night they never stop saying, holy, "Holy, holy." holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. They go on and they continue throwing their crowns before him on the throne and they say, You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they were created and have their being. What does John see going on in heaven? Same thing that Isaiah saw. There's worship of God going on. And John, and excuse me, in Revelation chapter 5, John continues with this vision in heaven and, um, and he sees uh, that uh, there, there's worship of the Father and worship of the Son as uh, they, they come and they see the Lamb who looks as though he'd been slain and uh, they sing a, a new song and they sing, you are worthy to take the scroll and, and open its seals because you were slain and with your blood you purchased for men. You purchase men for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom of priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. And then they go on, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. We have prayed that it would happen on earth even as it is in heaven. What is happening in heaven? There is praise and worship of God. Scripture is continually calling us to worship Him. We are to desire on earth what is going on in heaven. It is going on in heaven. There is constant worship of God going on in heaven. A third reason why I think we need to Uh, Worship, the first one, if you were taking notes here. The first one, Scripture calls us to worship. The second one is that is what is going on in heaven. And the third reason here is I believe this is what God actually created man for. This is the purpose for which God created us, to worship and adore him. You recall back in Genesis chapter 3 where Satan comes and he tempts the woman and he tempts the man to eat the forbidden fruit. What was the reasoning for that? Well, ultimately he gets to the conclusion where the woman says, we can't eat the fruit or we're going to die. And he says, you can not eat that fruit. The only reason God doesn't want you to eat it is he doesn't want you to be equal to him. He knows that if you eat that fruit, you're going to be equal to him. Ultimately, this has to do with worship of God. Because if man is equal to God, there's no reason that we have to worship him. So that's what Satan is getting at here. He's getting at, you don't have to worship God and worship him exclusively. It's the same temptation that he came to Jesus with in the garden. You find it in Matthew chapter 4, or in the wilderness in Matthew chapter 4, where Satan comes to Jesus and he says, you know what? Takes him up on a high place. They look out, all the kingdoms of the world, and Satan says, this is mine. man. Uh, it was supposed to be man's, and man gave it to me in the garden when he sinned, but... You know what? I'll give it to you. I'll give it to you. All you have to do is bow a knee to me. And you remember Jesus' response. We're only to worship God. Worship him alone. (laughs) That's the whole issue here is that God has created us to worship God and worship him alone. Satan tempting man in the garden to say you will be equal to God says you don't have to worship him. Satan tempting Jesus to worship, worship him instead of God is saying God alone is not to be worshiped And Jesus' knew better. God created us to worship and glorify and honor him. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 10, 31, says, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. And so we have in our shorter catechism, the first question, the shorter catechism, what is man's chief end? We all know it. To glorify God and enjoy Him forever. To glorify God. thats I'm saying that is worship. And glorifying God, we are worshiping Him. And so why are we to worship? Well, Scripture continually calls us to worship Him. We see that worship is what is going on in heaven and when that time comes and we join the saints in heaven, that is what will be going on. We prayed that it would go on on earth even as it is in heaven. And thirdly, that's what God created us for, is to be worshipping creatures and worshipping him. And so, let's go on. If, if that is what we're all about and what we should be doing, exactly what is worship? Well, back to psalm 33 here Um, i I want us to recognize that worship uh, first of all is recognizing god for who he is Um, sing joyfully the niv says some say uh, shout joyfully Uh, others say rejoice in the lord uh, you righteous it is fitting and upright uh, to praise him What's he calling us to do? He's calling us to to worship God and to to worship him together uh, and and with our lips. And uh, in order to do that, we must recognize who God is. Rejoice in the Lord. See, uh, Charles Spurgeon said on this that if we're rejoicing in the Lord that we must uh, remember and and this praise must come from our lips, that God is. And that He is such a God, and our God, ours forever and ever, should wake within us an unceasing and overflowing joy. To rejoice in temporal comforts is dangerous. To rejoice in self is foolish. To rejoice in sin is fatal, but to rejoice in... In God is heavenly. The very first verse here, he's calling us to rejoice in God. Sing joyfully to the Lord because of who he is and what he has done. We see in the, the 33rd Psalm some of the things that God has done. And we see who he is. Look with me in verses 4 and 5. We find out some truths about who he is and why we should worship him. For the word of the Lord is right and true. He is Faithful in all he does. The Lord loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of his unfailing love. What do we find out about the Lord in these, in these few verses here? Well, he's right and true. He's righteous. We, we should worship him because he is righteous. He is faithful. We should worship him because he is faithful. Uh, he loves righteousness and justice. He is righteousness and justice. And the whole earth is full of His unfailing love. We should worship Him because He is love. We worship God because of who He is. We go on in the 33rd Psalm. Look with me, verses 6 through 9. Tells us another aspect of recognizing who God is. First of all, we recognize Him through His attributes. Secondly, we recognize Him by the fact that He is the Creator. Um, by the word of the Lord were the heavens made, their starry host by the by the breath of his mouth. Uh, go on down, to verse nine. Um, for he spoke, and it came to be; he commanded, and it stood firm. Uh, what else are we uh, worshiping God for? Not only his attributes, but the fact that he is the creator, and he created all that we see. Again. Um, one of the reasons modern man, I think, wants to push the narrative of evolution so much in the public schools has to do with the fact that this is a primary reason throughout Scripture that God is worshipped and praised because he is the creator. Remember in Revelation chapter 4 it's going on in heaven? Why are they worshipping God? You created all things. By your word they were made. We're recognizing God as the creator, and as the creator, he is worthy of our worship. Verses 10 through 17 here in Psalm 33. The Lord foils the plans of the nations. He thwarts the purposes of the people, but the plans of the Lord stand firm forever. The purposes of his heart through all generations. And he goes on talking here about the fact that not only did God create the world, but now he sovereignly controls all that's going on. We, God is in control. If God is the creator and he's still in control, he is worthy of our worship. And when we worship him, we need to recognize that this is the God we're worshiping. He is sovereign. And verses 18 through 22, I want you to notice one other thing that the psalmist here is telling us uh, about what worship is. And re- first of all, recognizing God and who He is, and something else we recognize ab- about Him. The eyes of the Lord are on those who fear Him, and on those whose hope is in His unfailing love, to deliver them from death, and keep them alive in famine. And He goes on. Why else are we worshiping God? Because He is a Savior. He's a Savior. So some things we learn about God, and rejoicing in Him, and who He is, well, we look, consider His attributes. He is righteous, He is just. His love is unfailing and and so on. Um, We worship Him because He is the Creator. We worship Him because He is sovereign. We worship Him because He is the Savior. We don't worship the God that we wish Him to be. But we worship God as He has revealed Himself to us in His Word. If we begin to say, my God is just not like that, we're making up a God in our own imagination. That is an idol. The God that we're to worship is the one who has revealed himself to us in his word, and that is how we're to worship him. It's not worship of God if we're worshiping a God who has not revealed himself to us in scripture. If we're worshiping some idol that we've made up in our minds that doesn't look like the God of Scripture. Maybe you've heard when you talk especially about God's sovereignty in all things, people would say, well, my God's just not like that. (laughs) He's not the God of the Bible then. And you're worshipping an idol. God will be worshipped as He truly is and as He has revealed Himself to be in His Word. And that's the only way He would be pleased with our worship. Many of you probably heard the song, uh, I can't remember the guy who, who made it popular, but Brown Eyed Girl, You're My Brown Eyed Girl. <clears throat> now I could sing that for my wife and maybe learn to play it on the guitar and sing it for her, but I really shouldn't sing that to her, should I? Those of you know my wife know she's got blue eyes. If I sing, you're my brown-eyed girl, I'm going to wind up getting hit, right? Something like that. No supper for me tonight, right? That's not pleasing to sing to uh, someone attributes that aren't truly theirs or to mess up those attributes. We need to, in worship, be recognizing who it is that we are worshiping. And we need to recognize Him as He has revealed Himself to us in His Word. And when we begin to worship other than that, that is not worshiping the true God. It is idolatry. So what is worship? Well, first of all, we have to recognize who God is as He's revealed Himself to us in His Word. And then we go to praising with our lips and honoring Him with our worship and singing and and in our minds contemplating who He is. We see it here in, in, again, Psalm 33. We've seen it several places, Um, but uh, uh, about uh, what is worship. Well, first of all, recognizing who He is and then acting that out by praising Him. We see verse 2 here. Praise the Lord with the heart. Make music to Him on the 10 string lyre." Sing to him a new song, uh, play skillfully, and shout for joy. What is what is the the, the uh, what is it that we're doing in worship here? We're acting on those things that we know about him, and we're responding in honor and glory to him, even as those uh, beings in heaven are doing, as we see in Isaiah six and Revelation four and five. We see in Psalm thirty-four again. Listen to the psalmist, this is David. And first of all, he talks about individual worship. This is what I am doing. He says, I will extol the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. This is worship. My soul will boast in the Lord. Let the afflicted hear and rejoice. This is worship. And then finally, verse 3 here, he goes from individual worship, this is what I'm doing, to corporate worship. And he says in verse 3, Psalm 34, 3, glorify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. We're doing this together. It's no longer just me, but it's all of God's people joining together to lift up God's name in praise and song and and honoring Him in so many different ways. This leads us to exactly more into the third point here, and that is how should we worship? Well, we see individual worship uh, certainly here in Psalm 34 one and two. We see individual worship in uh, Romans chapter 12, the first verse as well, where Paul writes I, uh, Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. We're to live our lives in, in dedication to God and uh, doing those things which would bring pleasure to Him and in, in joining in corporate worship and uh, speaking the truth of God to everyone we come in contact with and focusing on Him and meditating on Him and who He is and what He's done for us. So individual worship is important in those things. But I want us this morning to focus more particularly on corporate worship. That means all of us worship God's people coming together to worship together. In Reformed Circle's um, there's what is known as the regulative principle okay that's a theological term it may be new to some of you maybe some of you've heard it and don't know exactly what it what it means but uh, let me tell you what the regulative principle is is that we only worship God as he's instructed us to do this is important it's important to God let me give you uh, uh, just an illustration uh, the, the, each of us can hold on. To, then I want to give you an illustration from Scripture. First illustration. Let's say somebody was throwing you a birthday party. And this birthday party is all about celebrating a particular uh, milestone that you've reached in your life. And so as they are planning this party, this party which is supposed to be focusing on you and all about you, you are allergic to... Strawberries and you you know could never want a strawberry cake at your birthday party but in planning your birthday party they know you're allergic to, to strawberries but the person who's planning it says "I don't like strawberries you're, you're getting a strawberry cake for your birthday Well then the birthday party is no longer about you is it It's about the person who's planning. In Leviticus chapter 10, this is the second illustration on the regulative principle. In Leviticus chapter 10, there are a couple of sons of Aaron, Aaron the first high priest. Their names are Nadab and Abihu. Let me read to you what goes on. And I truly believe this uh, points to what we call the regulative principle. Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu, took their censers and put fire in them and added incense and they offered unauthorized fire before the Lord, contrary to his command. So fire came out from the presence of the Lord and consumed them and they died before the Lord. And Moses then said to Aaron, this is what the Lord spoke of when he said, among these, those who approach me, I will show myself holy in the sight of all the people, I will be honored and Aaron remained silent. What happened? Well, they'd have an Abihu who, who were supposed to lead the people in worship. They decide, well, let's make this more to our liking. God had told them how he wanted them to worship him. And so they said, well, But we're going to jazz it up a little bit. We're going to put some stuff in there. We're going to put a strawberry cake in here because we really like it, right? So they put... Incense in their censers that was unauthorized. God had not told them to do this. And when they did that, this is for them and not for God. And God is not at all pleased. Rather, he is incredibly unpleased to the point where he puts them to death. And when Moses confronts Aaron about it, Aaron remains silent. He knows that this is the way God will be worshipped, how God tells us to worship Him. I want you know, Scripture tells us how we're supposed to worship God. We see it certainly in Psalm 33 and the other psalms that we've read and the calls to worship. We are to worship Him with music and with singing, right? I, I know that there are churches out there, some churches that suggest under the New Covenant we're not to use instruments, but... I, I don't believe that. I believe that we are still supposed to use instruments in our in our worship. Uh, I, I can't believe that the Psalms would be so full of using instruments to worship and honor and, and adore God that He would He would call it out under the, under the New Covenant. We're to make music to Him and we're to sing to Him and to sing joyfully to Him and and, and, and our singing by the way is to be focused once again as we are thinking of who God is as he's revealed himself to us in his word. Our singing and worship needs to be true to God's word. It needs to it needs to communicate the God who truly is and truly is our God. And so Music and singing are part of what God has instructed us to do in worship of Him. Certainly prayer is part of worship that we are instructed to be, to be a part of our worship. Remember Jesus comes to the money changers and He says you're at my house to be a, a house of prayer and you've made it into a den of thieves. Prayer is to be part of our regular worship. Certainly scripture, scripture reading is to be part of worship, preaching uh, has always been a part of worship. We see examples of it throughout the scripture, is to continue to be uh, a part of our worship. Offerings, I believe, uh, is to be a part of our worship. We see in, in 2 Corinthians uh, chapters 8 and 9, Paul tells the church in Corinth when you gather together, collect offerings, uh, they're gonna, uh, he's going to be taking it to the needy uh, there in Jerusalem. But it seems that in instructing them to do that, he gives us clear instruction as to part of our worship as well is to be taking up the Lord's tithes and offerings. And certainly the sacraments of baptism and the Lord's Supper, we have the Lord's Supper before us this morning to participate in as part of the regulative principle. Ligan Duncan um, talks about this. And the the parts that are to be included, he said, God specifically commanded the elements he desired in worship, reading the word, preaching the word, singing, prayer, administration of the sacraments, oaths, and vows, etc. To and from these we may neither add or take away. And he goes on talking about the benefit of worshiping this way with the regulative principle, only doing what God has commanded us to do in worship. And he says, the key benefit of the regulative principle is that it helps to assure that God, and not man, is the supreme authority for how corporate worship is to be conducted. By assuring that the Bible, God's own special revelation, and not our own opinions, tastes, likes, and theories is the prime factor in our conduct and approach to corporate worship. When by the regulative principle keeps us worshiping God as he has instructed us to, keeps us from offering the cake that is not pleasing to him, from offering the fire and incense which he has not told us to do. God knows what pleases him. And he's told us what pleases him in worship. And these are the things that we're to include in our worship. And so, I think that uh, this is what we're to be about in 2020. Both individually and corporately, we're to be worshiping God. I hope that this would be your top priority in this new year because God is certainly worthy of our worship. We see who He is and what He's done. He's created us. He's recreated us. Made us new in Christ Jesus. He's worthy of our worship. And so this new year, may that be the ultimate goal in your life is to bring honor and glory and worship to the one who so deserves it. And may He grant that each of us by the power of His Holy Spirit, are able to attain this goal in 2020. Let's pray together.